They seem like very fun objects and very silly objects, so I needed a way for people to take it seriously. Basically living our entire lives from the surface of our bed. Design, design, design. Design Research Podcast. Welcome to the Design Research Podcast of the Design Academy Eindhoven, live from the graduation show. My name is Arif Kornweitz, and I'm here together with Agata Jaworska of the Knowledge Circle. Hi, Agata. Hello, Arif. Could you introduce the Knowledge Circle quickly and the Design Research Podcast? Yes, sure. So the Knowledge Circle is a sort of not ideal translation of the Kenneskring in Dutch, uh, but it's a body within the Design Academy Eindhoven that comes that is active in different departments across the departments. And the interest is to look at, um, to sort of ask questions, how do we look at all the outputs that you see in these um, hallways and to kind of offer a certain kind of analysis of the research. So in a way, we're trying to build a shared con uh, conversation on research methods across departments and see how they are shifting and also how they are influenced by changing life conditions and so forth. And what are we going to talk about today? So we have selected uh, with the Knowledge Circle, and maybe I, I can also add that it's the first time this year that we're connecting with Yaya uh, Nene which is an online uh, platform dedicated to the arts. And I think that's nice because then we automatically also bring the conversation from the academy and, and sort of beyond. Uh, and today uh, we made a selection of these um, three graduate projects from different departments, both bachelor and master, uh, focusing on uh, mediatization. So all of them deal with media in different ways. And they look at the influence of media at various platforms on how they shape and reinforce certain norms in our lives, how they actually reinforce certain values. And um, I think all three individuals uh, relate in their methods in terms of infiltrating media and perhaps offering a certain kind of critique, but we will hear this from uh, their own words. Okay, because we are joined here by three graduates, congratulations to all of you. Um, next to me is Larry Chapman, welcome. Uh, we got Felicity Morris of Master Social Design and Chris Lern from Manor Communication. And Chris, I want to ask um, you to quickly describe your project to us. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, my name is Chris Lern. Uh, my project's name is Confident Face Swap. Uh, it is a hack version of Vogue magazines, uh, containing zero editorial but only advertisement uh, and uh, selected images from certain advertisement that contain a lot of confidence and um, by doing that I swap my face with the original copies and from this archive I have also used it as a research tour to uh, learn what what have they and how have the magazine been manipulating their reader and how they sell their products. What do people see here if they walk around the show and they see your presentation? Uh, if they're in the show, you mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so there will be our ob an object that looks like a magazine, but the moment when you start to flip that magazine, then you realize it's not quite the usual magazines. And, and by uh, doing this gesture of flipping, that's also part of it that people keep flipping it non-stoply and to think about what am I actually looking at. 
that's part of my project. Okay, thank you. Um, our next guest, Felicity Morris, your project is called Best, uh, Post Bed Post, and you're actually streaming live right now. Yes, currently we are live streaming to my Instagram channel, which is at onfleek, that's on underscore fleek. So for people that didn't see it live, you can go watch it again or listen to the podcast. Um, I'll explain a bit about my project. So as I said, it's titled Post Bed Post. It is a bed directed towards millennials that live streams straight to Instagram and it is highlighting how our relationship with our bed has changed, hence the idea of a post-bed. It's no longer the original notion of a bed. It's not somewhere that we just sleep anymore. It's somewhere where we are working, socializing, shopping, ordering food, basically living our entire lives from the surface of our bed. Uh, right after our conversation here, you'll do a performance? Yes, um, I will be live streaming one of my spoken word pieces straight after this interview. So again, you can watch that live on Instagram or if you're in the campaign today, you can come and view it also IRL. So, yeah. Great, thank you. And Lara Chapman of uh, Masters Design Curating and Writing, which is now called Critical Inquiry Lab. Agatha was your tutor but I'll let you describe your project yourself. Um, so, yeah, my project is called Through the Emoji Looking Glass, uh, and it's comprised of three parts, which is an augmented tour of the Rijksmuseum, a sort of encyclopedia-style book that I made with a graphic designer called Ninka Temink, um, and also a proposal to Unicode, which is the governing body that makes emoji, and um, the proposal is proposing a new... Uh, a new emoji that is an uh, emoji with a hand on their hip. Um, and basically my project is bringing into conversation emoji and collections of museums. And it sort of seems at first that these two things are very separate from each other. One is very like fast, fun, seemingly quite silly. Um, and the other is quite slow and physical and sort of lives um, in these white walls of the museum. But when we start to look at them together, um, we realize there's a lot of cultural um, a lot of parallels between them, such as the cultural battles um, that unfold in them. So how do we represent uh, different genders, different races within them, or questions such as should we have guns in these visual collections come up in my project? Um, maybe we can start a little bit with uh, also Chris, or continue with you. Um, so you took the September issue of Vogue magazine the last 50 years, Yes. And you superimposed your face uh, on all the advertising, all the models in the uh, September issues of Vogue. That's correct. Uh, could you tell us just first off, like, what compelled you to do this? Well, so I used to work in a fashion operations uh, house. Um, it's a big brand. And they hired me to do a job, which is go through mountains of magazine and newspaper and try to archive them. Uh, especially when it contains their, their brands or a celebrity would wear their clothes. Then um, in those times, it was just image after an image after an image, and they're very repetitive. And um, so when I was researching about consumption and how um, visual manipulation towards consumers, then it reminded me back to this memory of, oh, 
I yeah exactly that's how they've been working on people's mentality that you need this you need that and if you buy our products you will look this happy you will look this beautiful you will look this gorgeous then um, uh, so often I lost connections with those images myself then I use this project as my research tour to uh, experiment if I put myself in it, would I feel more relevant again with all this product or with all this um, idea that I can be this person if I use a certain product? And um, the result is really absurdly um, funny in a way, but it's also at the same time really serious and not only about me, but also all the ordinary reader who ever flip a page of magazines, what does it mean to them? And uh, maybe a link also with Lara, because um, in a way you superimposed yourself across Vogue in 50 years. So in that sense, you uh, traveled across time. Uh, you traveled through time. You saw, uh, and here I'm talking about you, Chris, uh, like you saw how the evolution of fashion and styles and trends and through this one constant uh, that you've introduced, which is your face. Um, and uh, Lara, in yours, you, you compared two, two different collections. Uh, one is quite historical and one is quite contemporary. Uh, could you maybe say something about why it was important for you to bring those things together? Um, sure. Uh, just to clarify, uh, the museum collection that I used as a case study uh, for my project is the collection of the Rijksmuseum. So, as Agata was saying, it goes back uh, a long, long time. The earliest painting that I augment in my tour is from the 14th century. And part of the reason I chose such an old collection and, um, and to put emoji pairing with them was really to show that the biases that we're finding in museums about, um, that are built off this uh, idea of colonialism and patriarchy and these very um, political ideas that are in all museums' collections are also being replicated in emoji. And I wanted to show that emoji haven't solved those problems, even though they're often claimed to. Um, and by putting them into, into conversation with each other, the museum sort of uh, brings new light to emoji, and in turn, the emoji brings new light to the museum. And I think it was kind of interesting of what you were saying, Chris, uh, in terms of how does it make you feel to see yourself in the magazine? Because also, as I started researching emoji, one of the things I found was that I saw myself in the emoji because I actually look exactly the same as the blonde haired emoji. I have short blonde hair, brown eyes, I often wear like color purple, these pink Yeah, where's colors. your purple shirt and, today? Um, Normally you're uh, yeah. wearing your purple shirt on these uh, Turned it down special today. days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to see how either you're implicated in these systems that you don't necessarily agree with um, or you put yourself in these systems to sort of discover about them. And it's exactly what you said, when things is about you and not about other people, then it starts to be interesting again. And uh, for most of the people, that they cannot really relate themselves with the high-end thing or a scenario of certain product or an identity. And I think this is a, a point we, we're making here as well. Uh, you related yourself with emoji is the medium to connect in your content, I think. Yeah. 
Uh, you talked about the, you referenced the problematics of uh, the, both the Rijksmuseum collection and museums in general, and also uh, that they are not resolved through more com contemporary forms of collection making, such that uh, the emoji collection is. Um, through your work, did you try to attempt to address these problematics, or, um, or, or was bringing them together a, a way of doing so? If you could try to like, talk about your method in, in dealing with these problematics. Um, yeah, maybe I can take a particular case of it, and I think the most sort of easy one to describe is um, the sort of problem of a very small group of people who get to choose what goes in and out of our visual collections. If we think about museums, there's a small collection of curators who are often uh, white middle-aged men who are putting those works and saying, yes, this is valid, and no, this isn't valid. And the same for Emoji. It's a very small group of technology companies in Silicon Valley who actually have the voting power, who actually pay a lot of money to influence what Emojis come in um, and out of our collection. And I think one of the ways I tried to address this in the work, the method was um, to create this augmented emoji tour, but not uh, of the Rijksmuseum, but not ask permission of the museum uh, and sort of just go in and do it. And so I actually went in, it functions in the museum because we can use digital devices um, to sort of, I guess, intervene in museums in a guerrilla style. Um, and sort of ask, like, does the public actually get a say in what we do? And I also put through a proposal to Unicode for the hand on hip emoji. And by doing that and putting myself in that research and like writing the whole proposal, I realized there's a lot of problematics with how emoji are being made because you're asked to give Google trends and Instagram trends and prove the worthiness of the emoji before it exists. But then you end up replicating the problematics of Google and Instagram, which are also built from these sort of like very exclusive systems. So I think a lot of it was, yeah, questioning who, who gets to choose um, what media we use and what, um, what is in public visual collections. Um, Felicity, that also seems to be um, a big part of your approach, right? So representations and kind of who governs them. And how did you approach your subject? I mean, which kind of methods did you use? And also, how do you keep using them because you're doing a performance? Within my project, a lot of the research that I did was using myself and putting myself in my bed and restricting myself to it. So I did a series of experiments where one was I restricted myself to my bed for 12 hours and I was, wasn't allowed to leave. I only had my devices. So with that, I could order food in. Obviously, I left to go to the toilet, but I would like call friends and whatnot. So... And that way, yeah, I restricted myself to just that space. And I'm continuing that by, again, only having myself in the one space of the bed and creating the way in which people can see my bed. So, like, I constantly refer to my project as the bed as a stage because we present ourselves in this manner that we only show what we want to see. So through the platform of Instagram, we're only showing people certain elements of ourselves. So that's what I wanted to curate through the live streams that I do. It's only one certain angle of myself that people get to see or they are exposed to. This is kind of a sidetrack, but I'm wondering what kind of reactions you get and also how that influences your thinking about the project. Mm -hmm. The reactions that I've had from people visiting the Campina this week, um, a lot of people actually, they read the 
blurb next to my work and they look at me and then they laugh and I don't know whether to feel like I, I don't know like like it's a bit ignorant or something I don't know because some people have said they find it sad but also funny the bed as it is because it's a very lonely looking place and that they wouldn't want all this technology and devices and interference in their bed which is supposed to be a private domain but this is the narrative that I'm trying to highlight with my project is saying that these um, devices are invading our space but this is how we spend our time now in our bed it's no longer just a sleeping place but if you think of it just as invading the space is it not also a choice and is it not also maybe sometimes a choice that creates power for people who maybe couldn't otherwise um, be on other platforms and build themselves a reputation from other platforms it seems like a lot of people on Instagram have a certain agency that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have yeah I think definitely that's the power that Instagram has at the moment it can grant so many different jobs and just anything I think it's really exactly why I used it because for our generation it has so many avenues to it and I think it, even the way that as I said we present ourselves most often you'll greet people and tell them maybe your Instagram handle and on everyone's plaques here we have our Instagram handles rather more than a website or right next to our names it's really how we represent ourselves today yeah in a way that seems to be one of the factors that tie your project together really right <clears throat> the the bed as a platform and then sort of the digital platform where all sort of norms are reproduced using emojis and confidence as a beauty standard and how that is also like reinforced uh, and brought into the private space right so and this is a question to all of you um But I'm wondering how you identify such sort of a representation and these codes that are surrounded, surrounding it. And how do you kind of tackle that as a research subject? Maybe, Chris, how did you, how did you decide to, yeah, f like go into confidence and how did you frame that? Um, I start with the social media, such as like Instagram, and uh, the, then the confidence is all over the place. Then it came to the point of like, okay, I need to limit the the area of it. Otherwise, it, that's just a profound ocean full of information. Then, of course, by choosing a certain uh, issue, a September issue, very uh, significant and very influential, or at least it used to be, uh, and limited to a half century, just 50 years, five decades. Uh, sorry, woman thinking. Um, Uh, that would limit my research area, then it does help me to um, not get lost in a way. But also there's a lot of um, uh, pilot I can follow and maybe uh, trigger them back to a certain event or some movement or what, what happened in a certain year, for example. Then, um, yeah, that, that's if you are asking for my how I research and how mm -hmm. I frame my research, this is my way. I think that's really interesting because also I found like I was getting very lost in the research of emoji and it wasn't until later in my project that I found that I had to include the Rijksmuseum as a way of sort of narrowing down the research because there's so many examples of how emoji are interesting and the politics of them. But I also found like Felicity, people um, tended to like respond to discussions I was having with them about emoji very lightheartedly, even though they're very like deeply political because they seem like very fun objects and very silly objects. So I needed a way for people to take it seriously 
And so the museum sort of gives a, gives a sort of level of seriousness and in turn the emoji sort of allows people to enter the conversations that happen in museum very uh, lightheartedly, but then it sort of develops into something they can uh, access and it's not academic or a bit like hidden behind the scenes. It's actually a way of uh, allowing people to enter into different interpretations. Yeah, I mean, uh, our, one reason for bringing the, uh, Laura and Chris together was uh, indeed the notion of the collection and the interrogation of a certain kind of, you know, a certain kind of collections uh, uh, in different ways. Uh, and coming back um, to you, Felicity, um, I was wondering, I mean, first of all, I also really like your green nail polish. I can imagine that's uh, uh, part it's of the, oh, wow, uh, <laughs> part of the green screen. So if you haven't seen her um, installation, like, I find it fascinating to look at because all you kind of see is her face, uh, like same with, with Chris's project. Uh, but Chris's, your face changes a lot. You traverse uh, also through different races, but maybe yeah, we can... Yeah, different races, age, identity. Yeah, the, which is uh, fascinating in itself. And it seems like what I have seen with yours, Felicity, is like your face is a kind of constant. Mm -hmm. uh, and your body, um, because it's part of the green screen as the mattresses, is a kind of total surface uh, for information flow, for communication, for... So it's almost like you subjugate your whole body to like uh, mm -hmm. all these information flows. Um, and there you can read it as a kind of site of economic uh, production or um, almost like a self-exploitation. Uh, but so coming back to, you know, you, you interrogated or you, you identified confidence as a sort of central axis of your study. And I was wondering if there was like a central, like, is this narcissism? Is it, is it, do you take a position in your work? Because yours is, for me, a kind of edge of mm -hmm. like, uh, so I'm wondering if you take a position and if you find that important to either be vague about it or to be particular on that. I think obviously it is quite vain that I would put myself like there. Normally within my, all my other pieces of work, I don't class myself as a performer, as which I'm classed as in the narrative of the show because I like to be seen as one of those people that's like behind the camera, not in front of the camera. So, yeah, it is vain in a way, but that's definitely referring back to where I said like the bed is the stage. This is kind of how we're all showing ourselves today. So I think that's just part of what our society is coming into. And is it a critique? Is it a celebration? Is it a speculation? None of the above? <laughs> Kind of all of the above and none of the above, I would say. Okay. Yes and no. Um, uh, we, we can share that question uh, to uh, Lara or Chris. Uh, do you take a position in your work? And if so, how and why do you find it important to do so or not, or not to do so? You mean the position of me being that? Well, um, in the position like in regards to the fact that confidence is sold and the fact that uh, beauty is advertised in certain ways... Um, it is just the fact that uh, also according to the last answer for me that uh, September issues September issue every page is, uh, is money is investment so uh, in a sense that the communication has to be very direct fast and we must sell and then it comes to a point that it cannot be too experimental or uh, excess of information then um, they, or somehow the society has designed that, that okay, confident would sell. Anything else, 
would be considered as uh, experimental. So there's not a single page of someone would feel uh, sad or insecure. You can hardly find those moments of people looking like that. But then for me, um, I'm a real human being and I don't live my life like how they show on the image. Then it comes to a point of like, okay, then now it's interesting that I can live like that with this project. But do you this think it's a bad thing that confidence is so highly valued and other stuff is not really represented? I guess people tend to um, um, chase what they don't have, or which is more maybe where to find, and uh, they frame a dream life or how people should be, and or maybe they try to define what is happiness. Sounds cheesy, but they try to project that kind of idea out to the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't need to smile to feel happy. Maybe we can just be as neutral as we are with that doubt face. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, Lara, do you take a position through your work? And um, how, how would you suggest for Emoji to um, move forward? Uh, I think I take quite a strong position personally, but it probably doesn't come as much across in the tours. Like each of the um, paintings that's augmented actually ends with the audio asking the audience a question. Um, so one of the questions is like, would, would emoji look more inclusive if they look um, abstracted? And so it's more like a provocation to think about it. I don't tell you like, yes or no, it's more inclusive. I personally think it is more inclusive. And yeah, in answer to the second half of your question, uh, I would suggest to emoji to sort of move away from they've moved more and more and more towards um very like literal representations of people but we can relate to the sort of smiley faces as much as we can relate to the literal representations of people and if you have more abstracted forms then it's more inclusive than like trying to give someone every single skin tone or every single gender um I wonder what would happen if we look uh, back to the emoji in 600 years. We will see. <laughs> hey, I think we have to round off. It's kind of a pity because there's lots of interesting topics to talk about, but we only have half an hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Design, 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 design